Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard. And as always, joining me, my partner in crime to my left, Neil Kulong. What's up, Neil, on this fantastic Thursday morning? You know, Lance, it's been a crazy couple days within the NFL. I've been looking forward to this show. I wanted to, to dive into the multitude of things that have gone on. And welcome to everybody listening in, watching in. We appreciate your support. Um, we're going to dig into it. I'm, I'm excited for it, Lance. Let's go. Before we hop into the show, Neil, I want to say one thing. Uh, if you have another friend named Lance, uh, name them something different so you don't inadvertently send my text to them. <laughs> I, I, you know, I just... That's a good question. Let me check and see. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, like put me as something else, Big Swa, um, <laughs> something else. So Lance S doesn't get or Lance X you know, doesn't you know get what's interesting is, Lance W's um, texts right and it, I I sort mine by last name and I I want to make a point to always put two names into my contacts I don't like having just one name on there I feel like that's something my kid would do so you are Lance Williams so you are under W not L okay and great. it would probably take me a little while to find um all of the other lances i would have i don't even know i'm looking through this i don't know who half these people are <laughs> that's funny so I'll, I'll just say this i wish there was like some sinister music when you were going to send a text to the wrong person that said zin, 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 <laughs> are you wrong, sure this wrong, is the lance wrong, you want to send it wrong, to wrong person person i mean something like that but all jokes Text aside, may contain sensitive information. Do you want to send yes. it? <laughs> Do you want to send all jokes aside? And we're going to jump into, of course, the Brian Flores issue in the suit against the National Football League. But before that, I want to give a shout out to our show sponsors, um, Great Dads versus Everybody. And also, um, I want to promote my daughter's artwork, her NFTs. It's under Sad Plants Art. She has some NFTs that are out there. And also, before we jump into the show, I want to give a big shout out to Tevin PA 955. Or excuse me, let me say that again. I got it wrong. To Tevin PA 9551. <laughs> That's why I hate giving shout outs to, to Twitter handles and stuff like that, because I always get them wrong. But big up to Tevin for retweeting the show. Thank you, Tevin, for hopping on to the program. And big up to my colleague at work, Zell. Big up, ZG. Uh, big Laker fan like myself. But let's jump into... The show rundown, we're going to jump into some news and notes. Uh, we're going to, of course, talk about the Brian Flores stuff. And we're going to try to address, you know, if we get to it, maybe what the show was about, some offensive metrics and stats that the Steelers need to concentrate on to be better in the 2022-2023 season. Hopefully they will play in 2023. That would mean they would be in the playoffs. But let's jump into some news and notes. What's your thoughts on the conference championship games, Neil? What, what surprised you about both games? Uh, very simply, I think the biggest surprise was the fact the Bengals won the game. Um, I, I didn't see that coming. I'm sure most people didn't either. I didn't feel great about Kansas City minus seven and a half, but I did think uh, Kansas City would win the game. I did not see many instances, uh, certainly in Cincinnati's previous two games, as well as uh, their season history to that point to suggest that they could uh, beat Kansas City in an all-in game. Now, I understand that they beat them during the regular season, that game didn't seem uh, Chiefs-like to me. But at the same time, it's exactly what the Bengals used 
uh, over the second half in particular to, to knock them off. The Bengals absolutely deserve to win that game. Um, the issue that, that I would have with it more than anything is while Joe Burrow did a, a pretty decent job, he did not do what people are trying to make him out to have, to have done. No. Bengals defense was dominant in the second half, and they got absolutely no credit for that at all. They shut them down. And after the first half, in which they got marched on, and they should have – they came this close to giving up four touchdowns on four drives in the first half. And they were able to – the Chiefs made a mistake at the last one, should have at least gotten a field goal out of that. Um, to go into halftime 21-3 to and to come back and win that game in overtime was was phenomenal. Excellent performance defensively for the Bengals. Um, we've seen them play good defensive football. So I can't say that that is a surprise in and of itself, but uh, still against the chiefs on the road in a moment like that against a battle hardened playoff team, like the chiefs um, remarkable job by Cincinnati hats off to them for sure. Uh, as far as the other game goes, um, I think that really kind of played out exactly how we thought it would have played out. Jimmy Garoppolo did not play well. Um, Injuries aside, whatever. He's a great guy. He's the handsomest man alive, all of that. I'm not trying to bash Jimmy Garoppolo, but he didn't play very well uh, overall in that game. There are a lot of things I think San Francisco left on the board, but I also kind of figured uh, the Rams would be able to capitalize on that advantage. They were going to have the the better quarterback play. They have um, the better deeper threat down the field. Um, I would pledge my life, my devotion to Debo Samuel if he became a Steeler. And I, I love watching that guy play. He's, he's a, a phenomenal player. But the Rams just had too much overall against even a good San Francisco defense to think that they weren't going uh, to have the better chance to put themselves in position to win at the end. But otherwise, it, it looked to me like two uh, division opponents who know each other very well, and that those games tend to be the 20-17 to 17 variety. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good game. Um San Francisco just left a couple plays on the board that uh, that you wouldn't think that they would. And it seems like the Rams have a tough time with San Francisco in that regard. I, I think the Rams are the better team than the Bengals. I'm done picking against the Bengals, though. <laughs> really, they should have lost a long time ago, in my opinion. So I, I don't know. I think it's a good Super Bowl. It's a real interesting matchup um, between two teams that, uh, I mean, the Rams were there a couple of years ago. It doesn't seem like they're the same team now. So it, it's, it's fun. I, I'm looking forward to it. Being both from Pittsburgh and from Inglewood, Inglewood up to no good, I'm just excited to see that the Super Bowl is going to be played um, across the street from my mom's house. I mean, that's really neat. Um, Had the Niners gone to the Super Bowl, because my wife is a huge San Francisco 49er fan. She is from San Francisco. She is from the Western Edition. She is a member of the faithful. So that would have been exciting. We would have probably went downstate with my mom and went and tried to enjoy some of the festivities um, at SoFi, but unfortunately, uh, Jimmy G, uh, the the clock struck 12 and the pumpkin turned or the carriage turned back to a pumpkin and Jimmy G, however, stayed pretty. He became Jimmy G because Jimmy G will always be pretty and he'll be Jimmy G. Like even when Jimmy G is upset in a press conference, Jimmy G's pretty. I mean, he's just pretty at all moments of his life. But in looking at that game, um, even though the Rams were more talented across the board, Matthew Stafford still emerged, stuck his head out. the. Uh, we saw his shadow. And by the way, did we see the uh, hedgehogs or the groundhog shadow? <laughs> Is it six more weeks of winter? But he, uh, he stuck his head out the hole and became Matthew Stafford. And he gave the, the San Francisco 49ers an opportunity to absolutely win that game and, and close that game out 
with that interception that the kid dropped. But uh, the, the, the Niners couldn't convert. And in the Chiefs game, you know, I really thought that the Chiefs got overly aggressive at the end of the half. I think you take the points, especially I, I get trying to knock them out. But if you take the points and get the ball in the second half, I mean, I, I, I just thought they got a little bit greedy. Um, kudos to the Bengals. Bungles, you guess we can't call them the Bungles anymore this year. Kudos to them. We're getting to the Super Bowl, but I think you're spot on. I don't think Joe Burrow was Joe Cool and all that forced nickname stuff that they're trying to throw on. I thought I thought he threw a solid game. I thought his pocket awareness and his mobility really uh, was the thing that really uh, disrupted Kansas City um, in the second half. Uh, but kudos to them. And, and what I'll say is this, Neil, is um, you got to give Zach Taylor his props. I mean, yeah, you can never – I mean, you, you, you can't diss the coach. Uh, uh, the Bengals anymore I mean I know you're his number one fan but <laughs> I mean you have to you got to give him his props now he's a he's a Super Bowl coach he got a yeah, team to I, the Super Bowl it, it, it there's a lot to break down with that uh, I think yes um fairly obvious uh he, he is the coach of a team that is going to play in the Super Bowl he can't really get past that but uh defense wasn't him all year um, that that's not what their team is. Um, it, it, all of the highlights that they get, all the accolades that they get are about their offense. And it, it's not to say that they don't have uh, talented players there. Uh, when you put Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase, you better have a, a fairly explosive offense. I think Kansas City bottled that up fairly well, uh, considering what Cincinnati is and what they're going to do. Joe Mixon did a good job in that game as well, but that was a defensive effort, and that's not what Zach Taylor is known for. And that when 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 the franchise made the decisions for Zach Taylor on the defensive side of the ball, they started to get a lot better. Let's just put it that way. I, I I'll say what I say about Zach Taylor. Um, you know, credit to him for for getting him to that point. But that's a that's a great defensive football team, and not enough is being said about that. And really, it really bothers me, as you can tell. And uh, big up to the Bison because it looks like uh, Trey Lance is going to be the guy that's going to start. I mean, Jimmy G basically just said in his press conference he's going to get traded. But let's, yeah, there's no but, doubt. But in terms of the Super Bowl matchup, I like the Rams. I just don't think that – I don't think that Bengals front can block the Rams um, consistently. Yep, we, we thought that about Kansas City as well. <laughs> just, no, but this, but this one I'm, has – I'm done with it. That's all you I'm know, saying. But this one has Penn Hill's finest, the disruptor the absolute destroyer of men, Aaron Donald. and uh, Might end up being the best defensive player in the history of the game. Do you realize that? How how crazy of a statement is that? We really don't we, – we, we, we're getting out of the Tom absolute, Brady era. In case I think you guys it's didn't absolutely hear. crazy. I think it's an absolutely crazy statement. Given Reggie White, he's got so much to do um, to ascend to Reggie White's level. Um but you know he'll he'll have the time um, to absolutely do it on the live chat. Uh, can you hear Neil? Because I can't hear Neil. Yep. Um, there you go. I was just I couldn't hear Back you for now. a second. Um, I'm just saying I'm I'm gonna wait because Reggie White's production. R Reggie White was was a grown ass man, so I, I'm gonna wait. Aaron Donald is definitely on that trajectory, but when you look at uh, Reggie White's numbers. It, it is just, it's unreal. It is absolutely unreal. The man almost has 200 sacks. I mean, it's just, 
I mean, it, it's just absolutely unreal. Um, Reggie White's also a defensive end. You know, they, he's going to have more sacks than Aaron Donald does. But Aaron Donald is going to probably already is the best interior pass rushing defensive tackle of all time. He's one of the best run supporting defensive tackles of all time. Um, the fact that he is once again very much in the mix for another defensive player of the year award. It, it, no defensive player has had the run of dominance that he has, and he's not slowing down. He's still as good as he's been. Um, he's just putting the old man stuff together, which is what Reggie White really built his legacy on. After a while, I mean, yeah, he was a grown-ass man his entire career, but the older that he got, the more that he learned, and he set guys up and, and beat them with his mind as well as his speed along with superhuman strength. Um, in, in an era which the speed of a pass rusher wasn't as prized as it is today. So it, it, it's it, it's a fair conversation to, to go over either of them. But Aaron Donald still has probably two, three years of uh, a defensive player of the year level play still in. And by the end of it, he's going to have like five of them. And I don't, nobody else has three. I mean, it, it's the guy is just absolutely phenomenal. You, you won't see a better defensive player for a long time than Aaron Donald. Now, let me, let me I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go into it or belabor it much more, but I thought that, I thought that TJ Watt had three as well. I thought defensive Watt, player of the year awards. No, he yeah. Didn't I, I, no, excuse me. Not TJ Watt, JJ Watt. I thought JJ Watt had three as well. What did he have? He had three. Yeah. So yeah, I, I thought I JJ, a couple guys have three white. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how many Reggie White. I, I, you know, not to belabor. I, I'm just one of those. I'm an old. I'm an old ass. I'm an old dude. You know, I'm a guy that grew up where we talk legacy after they retire. I mean, but I will say this: he has definitely put himself on that trajectory. If he continues to play like this, oh. you the argument will be absolutely uh, legitimate. But let's jump into some Steeler news, um, and give me your brief. Um, because I told Tevin you would uh, break down the senior ball really briefly. But before that, Chris Morgan gets hired by the Bears. The Steelers interim offensive line coach gets hired by the Bears. What's your thoughts on that? And could we see a Mike Munchak return? Um, as far as Morgan goes, I, I think it, it's it's a good example of how uh, deeply rooted um, it, coaching allegiances are in the NFL. These guys usually um, – they're linked either directly at some point they were grad assistants in college together or they, they were low level assistants in the NFL. They, they build a rapport and a relationship and they almost kind of make a pact. If any of us are going to be a head coach at one point, we're going to hire each other. You know, if, if the role is a promotion, we're going to talk about it. I have no idea. I didn't really dive into it. What the connection between Matt Eberflus and uh, the, the new coach of the bears and Chris Morgan is, but um Morgan was an assistant with the Steelers for most of the year. He uh, was an interim offensive line coach when Adrian Clem <clears throat> uh, left to take another job and was not told that it'd be a good idea if he did at all. <clears throat> cough, cough. Um, it, it, with that, I think Morgan showed in that time he, he was up to the task. I think their offensive line looked a lot better. Maybe it's because they had more active attention considering the coach left and they know why that he left. But it, it's him moving on means, if anything, uh, the Steelers are going to have to hire that position outside. They haven't done that since Munchak. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, Sean Serrett, um, the, the level of uh, proficiency he had with the line is kind of up and up and down. Adrian Clem obviously did not do a very good job. It, I, I think it's a breath of fresh air for the Steelers to have to look and find somebody else. 
And the first name everyone's going to bring up is Mike Munchak for obvious reasons. Mike Munchak left the Steelers in uh, 2020 uh, to be closer to his granddaughter uh, when his daughter and son-in-law moved to Denver. So the Denver job opened up uh, at a great time for him and his family. Mike Munchak is also a very principled guy. He's been around for a while. He's very smart. I don't think he's a guy that, that does it purely for the money. And with that, he's going to have other opportunities. Why Denver didn't retain him, I don't know. Um, I've talked to some people inside the NFL. Some of them think that it perhaps um, Munchak's style of coaching is a little more outdated and doesn't fit in line with uh, the quarterback that they're probably going to bring in, hint, hint, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and they wanted something a little bit more um, – it's spread out a little bit more of a, a, a spread approach to a run game, which is not something that we've seen uh, from a, a, a Munchak offensive line. It doesn't mean he can't coach it. They just probably feel maybe there's somebody better at the same time. Um, this is my get off my lawn statement for the day. You're a first time NFL head coach. If you don't think Mike Munchak can make your team better, you're not paying attention. So I, I, I don't know what uh, Nathaniel Hackett well, it's, 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 uh, is saying in Denver. I also don't know why Denver hired Nathaniel Hackett. So well, you know, know why one check though is free. Hack. Yeah, we're going to get into that. I mean, you, you know, that's one of the problem that. ones. There are some problem ones and there are some non problem ones, but that's one of the problem ones in my mind. The long and the short of it is Munchak is available. I don't think the Steelers would hire him. Um, I, I, I think the Steelers would be wise to kick the tires and see just because I think Mike Munchak is really good at what he does, but uh, I, I don't think considering why he left in the first place, which contrary to Twitter opinion is not because of Mike Mun or not because of Mike Tomlin. Okay. He had a familial opportunity. He wanted to be closer to his family. He doesn't even want to be a head coach. He wants to coach the line if he has to, but he's old enough now. It makes you think that uh, perhaps he's not really all that into it. You know, it's not going to be worth it to him to come back to Pittsburgh and go against exactly why he moved to Denver in the first place. So I don't think Munchak would be interested. Uh, we'll see, though. I, I don't know. I, you know, the Steelers are really buttoned up when it comes to their assistant coaches, and uh, they had a bunch of them to hire last year, and I didn't hear, I hadn't heard of any of them when they brought him in. So, uh, who knows what they're going to do? I just don't think it'll be Munchak, and I, I think Munchak would probably uh, take the year off or just flat out retire rather than uh, go back that much further away from his family, which is what he didn't want to do to begin with. <laughs> I'm getting some funny stuff in. Um... On, on the live chat, Double H saw him trashed once in Aspen. Oh wow! And uh, Mel brought up a decent point, and, and we'll see. Mel brought up a decent point. Um, if it can show up here, but I'm having technical difficulties. Mel wrote, "Unless you thought the grass was greener on the other side, and then found out it wasn't." And and and, and that's a good point. And what I'll say to Neil's point is, as you get older. You know, sometimes you just don't want to transition um, and make another move. Um, I think we saw that as part of the reasons uh, for Tom Brady wanting to retire. And congratulations to Tom Brady. I think the best quarterback I've ever seen, for sure. I have no issues in saying that he was the GOAT quarterback, at least, and probably the greatest player to ever play, at least the greatest player that I've seen. Um, and, you know, you just want to get back to family. You know, sometimes – you know, there are some other things that are more important in football. But before we jump into the Brian Flores story, uh, lastly, Neil, talk about, um, you know, because I've seen a lot in the news in terms of the senior bowl about the Steelers looking a lot at Liberty's quarterback 
And uh, I think Rooney was at the Senior Bowl. I think all the Steeler brass was there. And there's been a lot being made at uh, the Steelers looking at the quarterbacks. Is that something – typically when I look at the, the – you know, a lot of guys on, on social media, they they track visits, they do all that stuff with the draft. I've never been a guy that's really paid attention to that. I think sometimes that's like just throwing stuff in the wind and wherever it blows, it sticks, it's whatever. I don't read too much in it. Um, are you reading anything into the Steelers, uh, these reports about them focusing on Liberty's quarterback or taking a solid and a strong look at the quarterbacks and all this stuff? What's your – general thought on that and your senior bowl roundup overall usually what happens um okay let, let's let's establish what the senior bowl uh represents um to, to multiple sides here first um it, it's a showcase of what is generally accepted as the best senior talent uh entering the draft your senior class for obvious reasons makes up the most uh draft picks that are going to be made and um, I, I know the people who were involved in putting um, those teams together. It is a very detailed and meticulous search, and it is done uh, at the recommendation of the NFL. They, they take the guys that NFL teams tell them that they want to get a better look at. It, it's an opportunity uh, for those players to go in against uh, higher end to elite talent and showcase what they can do in kind of an individual way in practices and drills. You see what they have between the ears all of that stuff. And it's done under the direction of NFL coaches. So it, it, it's, a, it's a good event. Yeah. What's the level of medical that's done there? Um, I do. Yeah, that's a good question. You had to put me on the spot with that. I don't think they check anything. Um, okay. Okay. Don't quote me on that. I don't think that's a part of it. Uh, guys okay. will withdraw. We'll, we'll see guys uh, cut out this week due to injury and other guys get added, but I, I don't think they do any uh, evaluation on past uh, injuries. I mean, the, the current okay. stuff they might, but um, that's com that's, it, that's not the point of okay. it. You know, yeah, it's supposed okay. to, that they, they want to do the medical stuff with their own doctors, not, you know, the, okay. the people that they would bring in. Um, as far as the evaluation piece goes, uh, also, let me get into the marketing side of it because that, that's probably what's important here to the point that you just made. Um, the Senior Bowl credentials anybody who asks. Um, a lot of my staff right now is probably at the Senior Bowl. Um, what you see on Twitter, the reason it gets hyped up and the reason there, there are so many, to put it gently, uh, very detailed reports on things is because, frankly, there are a bunch of people who fancy themselves to be NFL scouts that are credentialed to this event. And because of that, it, it boosts their esteem in, in social media. Um, what yes, they say yes. about things may or may not matter. But that doesn't mean the information taken with the, the appropriate context isn't valuable. Let, let's take Malik Willis, the, the Liberty quarterback that you referenced earlier. Uh, Mike Tomlin, Matt Canada, uh, I, I, maybe it was Culver. I, there was a third uh, Steelers representative that was seen on the sideline talking to Malik Willis. Malik Willis is, da, 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 da. He is a phenomenally talented athlete, and he is probably in some need of uh, fine-tuning some mechanics, to put it mildly, as a passer. There are issues that he has to a point where if he threw the ball better, if he was more accurate, he would be the top pick in the draft. Uh, I don't think anybody would dispute that, but he puts up enough real questionable film. The best way to describe him is in the Senior Bowl practices, I think what, you, what is fair to guess 
Malik Willis is going to have the five best throws of any quarterback there. Malik Willis is also going to have the five worst throws of any quarterback there. He is he's really polarizing in that way. And because of that, you could see why the Steelers would want to get to know him. Uh, a team that needs a quarterback, whether he can play in day one or not, and Willis is not a guy you want to have to play in, in, in day one. Um, he's going to have appeal. He's going to uh, – here's another thing, too. The people who are at the Senior Bowl who develop these opinions and, and, and dive into the, the minutia and the details of it all, they're also the ones that build this hypothetical stock that a quarterback has. NFL teams aren't the ones doing that. So you're going to read, well, Malik Willis has really improved his stock. Teams know who Malik Willis is. They're looking at For him sure. just to, to make sure what they've already evaluated is accurate, and they want to get to know him as a person a little bit. Also, it was reported uh, Mike Tomlin and Matt Canada, and I think Kevin Colbert as well, were talking to his parents after practice at one point. That's, that is part of the evaluation. That's part of scouting. They want to know where he's from, what he's about. It, they're, they're making a pretty significant investment if they were to draft him. So they, they want to get all the information that they can. So it's, it's not as if he's going to shoot up the boards because we don't know what a team's board is. And uh, Luke Easterling's mock draft, which I highly recommend that you read, is probably going to have Malik Willis getting drafted a little bit higher after the Senior Bowl than he was before it. This happens every year. Quarterbacks improve their stock throughout the process. Most guaranteed investment in football is the hype surrounding a quarterback from January to April. Every year, there are quarterbacks that are going to rise. You heard all season long, it's a bad quarterback class. Fine, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. You're going to find out what teams really think about quarterbacks come April, and you're going to find out that they put a lot of stock into the quarterback position. Imagine that they're drafting quarterbacks highly because you need to have a quarterback. Ask the Steelers right now how badly they'd really like to have a second or third year quarterback able to start on a cheap contract. They'd love to have that. So they're going to go look for that. Um, don't read into, you know, it, well, everyone thought he was, you know, a second round pick until the senior bowl. Then he jumped up. No teams, teams have a good idea of who Malik Willis is. And to be honest with you, He's not going to fall to 20. There's no way he's going to fall to 20. So uh, it, it's due diligence on Tomlin's part. Maybe it's investigation to see if they want to trade up if that opportunity comes in. And also, Mike Tomlin, Kevin Colbert, they're going to talk to hundreds of players in the same way. It just happened to be Malik Willis is uh, a, a big name at the biggest position, and it makes sense that they would want to talk to him. I, I would love it if the Steelers got Malik Willis. I just don't think that he will. So... Uh, you put all that together and it, it's you get good reports coming out of the senior bowl. You get good information. You get a, a ton of hand size and length and all that junk that, that kind of matters, but not really. Uh, what you're not going to get, though, is a sense of what a team really thinks about anybody. We have no idea what Tomlin's what, what Tomlin walked away from that conversation thinking. What if he thought he was an we asshole? Do. We don't know that. <laughs> so to say do. that he talked to him doesn't matter. It, it, it's 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 good to know that, but it, it's not relevant to what they're doing. And either way, Malik Willis is talented enough uh, to to suggest that he, I, I don't see him getting past 15. I think Minnesota would love him at 12. I, I, I don't see him falling very far. He just has too much talent uh, that needs to be coached. Uh, if you have a guy like Minnesota does and Kirk Cousins, who's there for one year, um, Willis is a great quarterback to bring in, give him, give him reps, give him coaching, have him live, breathe and eat football all day long. 
and see where he is in year two. But I, if the Steelers could get a guy like that, I think it would be great. I don't think that I don't think it's going to be Malik Willis though. I can imagine, boy, at the senior bowl, if the Steelers wanted to interview me and I had a kid there, <laughs> their value, they would drop from a top five pick probably to the sixth round. They would be like, boy, his dad is a pure asshole. I don't know if we <laughs> want to deal with that guy for five seasons. I don't care how talented he is. <laughs> and, and also, listeners, if you want to check out Luke Easterling stuff, I put a link in the group chat. You can do a search uh, in your browser, Steelers Wire and Luke Easterling. Luke did a fantastic show with Neil and myself last year, breaking down the draft. Uh, but yes, it's very premature in the process, and I'm sure the Steelers are going to do their due diligence. And just another news note before we jump into the issues with Brian Flores, uh, T.J. Watt was named Sporting News Defensive Player of the Year, and I think that's voted on by the players um, and coaches, correct? I know the players that's, that's have just, a hand That's in just it. the Sporting News. That's not a player vote. Okay, it's the sporting news. Well, he got the sporting news uh, defensive player of the year. I'm sure he will get the NFL defensive player of the year. He's the odds-on favorite, having tied uh, the sack record. Um, yeah, Tevin brought up a great point that Minnesota just drafted Kellen Mond, so maybe yeah. Can, can they I might talk not... about Kellen Mond for a second? No, Kellen, no, because <laughs> I know that. Go ahead, real quick. All right, it, it, ten seconds tops. Kellen Mond sucks. Okay. okay, if, if Kellen Mond was not a phenomenal athlete, he wouldn't have even been a third round draft pick. But if you have the, the physical talent that Kellen Mond does and you're taken in the third round, you are a terrible quarterback. And he is. I, their coach and general manager both got fired. And I'm going to guess the final straw was the fact that they didn't agree on the Kellen Mond pick and the coach didn't play him and the, the season just fell apart for him. And that was it. They didn't find consensus on that pick. And Kellen Mond was objectively bad. I, it, he shouldn't have even gotten in the third round. Well, let's let, let's switch reels and let's jump into, unless you've been under a rock, the most explosive story and the biggest story outside of Tom Brady retiring, of course, is Brian Flores uh, filing a class action suit against the National Football League, alleging that there is systemic racism in the hiring process um, in the National Football League. And let's jump into, um, and SB Nation did a good job of, um, breaking down an article. Before we jump into that, I did want to say one thing because as I look at the SB Nation thing, let me just say this real quick. The commander's name sucks. I just want to <laughs> say that. The Washington commanders sucks. I think the Washington Redskins had a great opportunity to name the club the Washington Red Tails, which would have paid homage to the Tuskegee Airmen. Um, who participated yeah. in World War II? It would have been a it would have been a great uh, way to try to pivot around uh, their racist logo that they had for years, and do it, it would have been great. It would have been a way to to try to signal that there was a changing in their mindset and thinking. But the Washington Commander sucks. I mean that that that's a that's an Arena League football team name. That is absolutely awful. I mean, it's um, um, it's absolutely awful. But let's jump into the four biggest allegations in the lawsuit, and and let's tick them off one by one. And I want to get into some possible solutions here. But the first thing I want to say is the reason why Brian Flores is doing this is because there's a saying that 
that we say all over the country, that brothers say all over the country, game recognizes game. And I say that to say power recognizes power. Power does not respond or power responds to power. You're dealing with 32 billionaires. And when you're asking, you can't ask for change with 32 billion on, billionaires. Sometimes you, you have to throw rocks at the throne. And this is a country in which it was founded based on a revolution. Uh, power recognized power. It was taken. This country was based on a revolutionary war. That's how it was formed. So this is this is power. So power is going to you have to fight power with power. You know, somebody sometimes you say fire, you can't fight fire with fire. But in this case, and against the NFL, you got to fight power with power. I mean, they recognize power. Billionaires are going to recognize power. So that's one of the reasons why I think Brian Flores is doing this. And I think this is the reason why he's probably sacrificing his career, because in general, anytime you file a class action against your employer, you're not going to get hired again. I mean, that would be the same for Neil for myself if if we sued or any of you listening if we sued our places of employ we are not going to be employed they, they just won't trust us anymore now who knows what the nfl because the nfl is a weird place but i wouldn't bet on him getting another job in nfl but who knows stranger things have happened but let's jump through the big allegations the number one is brian flores alleges he was pushed to tank games and order tank dolphin games in order to improve their draft position. Now, before I ask your thoughts about this, Neil, let me throw this out. If this is true, the integrity of the game is scarred. And let me give you an example of after hearing this, this puts this particular play in perspective. I don't know if you guys remember. There was a game when Henry Ruggs was still playing football. When the Raiders were playing the Jets, I think in New York. End of the game situation. The Jets are up. I think it's under 30. It's under a minute. The only way the Raiders win, they're maybe about 60, 60, maybe about 60 yards away. The only way the Raiders win the game is on a bomb. If they throw a nine route to the end zone score, bomb, they can get a walk-off win. The defensive call was to put a very young corner one-on-one -on -one, isolated to the boundary with no safety help at the end of the game. What does Derek Carr do? He throws a bomb to Henry Ruggs III in the back of the end zone with about seven seconds to go, and literally the Raiders get a walk-off touchdown. It was one of the worst defensive calls I have, I've ever seen. Here's the problem with the first allegation is the way you look at that play now, you shake your head. You go, huh, did the owner pay him to make that horrible defensive call? That was a horrible call. What do teams typically do in that situation? They drop everyone deep, and essentially they are guarding the end zone. You can complete it anywhere. We're going to put everybody deep and guard the end zone. And I think it was a situation where it was the last play of the game, no timeouts. I mean, it was one of the worst calls ever. I was talking to my brother about this, and he said, wow, you've ruined the game of football for me. 
because I will never look at that play again after hearing, just hearing the allegations against the Dolphins, whether they are true or not. To me, in this whole issue, in this lawsuit for the NFL, because I think the NFL is comfortable with discrimination and hiring. I don't think they have an issue with that. That, that. That's par for the course. This is the most powerful allegation, I think, in the entire lawsuit. What's your thought about the allegation that he is making about getting $100,000 for every loss? Um, that That's the thing that jumped off the page to me. And there, there's a, a, a splinter conversation about the fact that I'm not at all surprised an African-American coach is accusing the NFL of systemic racism. But I am surprised that it, a, an owner, let's, let's assume first, let's assume Brian Flores has some kind of tangible evidence that confirms what is a very specific and significantly serious charge. Um, to me, that's, Stephen Ross needs to sell the team if the league uncovers direct evidence of that plot. Correct. He needs out of Fact. the league. I mean, there's Fact. no way you can allow that. Um, I understand me saying that implies okay with minority coaches getting screwed over, but I'm not okay with this. We really can't line this stuff up this narrow, okay? If, if we're taking this one at a time, uh, Stephen Ross um, – he would need to go if, if that's the case. I think there was a lot of talk when Flores started, nothing to do with Flores, but there was a lot of talk of the Dolphins leading into that season. And you might remember uh, Tua Tungle Vallejo, <laughs> Vallejo, I can't even say it, was <laughs> um, before the meteoric rise of Joe Burrow, it was all about Tua. Tank for Tua was a thing. And the Dolphins appeared on paper uh, to have some serious deficiencies as a team. And they were going to be in a position to take a quarterback. Um, it, the Minka Fitzpatrick trade happened after, what, week one, week two, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. it, it looks, you know, almost like it, it was just kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek joke. It looked like the Dolphins were tanking. Um, they lost, I think, their first two games by a combined 110 points. Everything about that team looked bad right away, but it's also a first-year coach. Um, the coach isn't the one trading the players. There are a lot of other people involved with that. You could see the possibility of, um, we can add this to our repertoire, Lance, um, committed tanking, which is to say they got rid of <laughs> stars. They put in younger players who are going to be a part of what they're doing, but they're not going to be good right away. Somebody brought up Hugh Jackson in Cleveland in the comments. That is always what I saw Cleveland to be doing when they were one in 31. They went about things from an analytical approach and needed some time to kind of bake and, and uh, come to life, so to speak. So I don't know if we saw clearly the Dolphins either tanking or not tanking. I think we saw a team that wasn't particularly good um, and Flores could only do with what he had. And at the same time, they improved. By the end of the year, they were playing pretty decent football. Uh, same thing for him in 2021. They had a bad start, really bad start. And they, they were playing good football by the end, enough to a point where you'd think the coach has got things on a good track. Let's go into the offseason. Let's see what we can do. Uh, start reaping the benefits of all these picks that we brought back in. 
tanking or otherwise. Okay, you didn't get Joe Burrow, but Tua I think is is a reasonable quarterback in the NFL. We've seen good things from him. You shouldn't have too much of a problem with that. But if the owner, whether this came to fruition or not, this is the point I'm trying to make. Whether Flores accepted it or not, and the implication in the lawsuit says he didn't, the results say he really didn't. Um, we don't know if there was ever a cash transaction for for the amount that Flores alleges um, that he was offered. He says that that he rejected it. They lost. I think they were five and eleven that year, something like that. But if the owner even made that offer, if the general manager was aware of that, the league has got a serious problem, and you you can't involve any of them anymore. You know, and I, I understand that that is one going to be the consensus opinion i think of reasonably minded people media and fans alike and two it does shine down the real message that flores is trying to send in that lawsuit now there there are a lot of things we're going to get into that but there are a lot of things that came with that for this particular uh, aspect of it if they have evidence that this happened and i don't know what they have i just like to think brian flores would not probably have sacrificed his coaching career in the nfl if he didn't have something tangible, we'll see what happens with that. I'm, I'm leaving that up in the air. But if they have something tangible, Stephen Ross has to sell the team. I don't care if it's for profit or not. He needs to sell the team. He can't be involved with anything uh, at all. And the team needs to be put up for sale immediately. Yeah, if I'm an owner, th- that that's the first thing I'm doing. He has to sell immediately. Uh, he he has he has to sell immediately. The he needs league to be removed has to from operations, team. and the team yes. needs to be sold to some. Yes, they, involved they, with the team in any way, shape, or form until yeah, it's need, sold. I'm not saying strip the thing down immediately. That that hurts the team. That might not have had anything to do with it. You know, keep the team running. Somebody else needs to be in charge of it until Ross's own. I think Neil broke up a little bit. I'm not sure um, if you guys can hear Neil. Um, and maybe Neil will break back in. Are you back in, I'm Neil? I'm back now. Yep. Okay. Let's jump into uh, the second allegation here. And that involves um, the, another big allegation is the tampering, the alleged tampering. But I don't want to really jump into that one. Uh, the other thing, big. Though. It's the same. Yeah, it's the same thing. Well, tampering. I don't. I don't think tampering is all that big of a deal, but it does lend some credibility to an owner uh, who is meddling with things that he shouldn't be meddling with. Tampering right. is illegal. Yeah. The way that situation is described, um, if if it was Tom Brady that he visited with prior to free agency, it's not allowed. You just yeah, that shit has to stop. They can't do that. It, it's dumb. It creates skepticism. It creates mistrust, and that. It's punishable as well, not to the level of tanking, but it's bad. Yeah, the two, um, and also what the tanking allegation is, and I know um, there was some allegations about the Browns doing the same thing, uh, but we'll see where that comes. Um, and, and also, if you re- if you took money to tank, you should no longer be allowed to, to coach in the National Football League as well. And it, it's just you have to the integrity of the game would be forever scarred and you would have a lot of fans not believing in the results. But let's jump to the yeah. real big issue. Um, and that is and here and this is why this is so dangerous. And this is why I'm glad Brian Flores 
is stepping out and, and doing the class action lawsuit. And it's important that's class action lawsuit because it gives other coaches who have been victims of the system to share and to give information to the Brian Flores team and to be part of the class action. And so I think that was important for Brian Flores to do. But, and this gets us to what we were joking about at the top of the program about how Bill Belichick screwed up his texts and sent Brian Flores the text instead of Brian Dayball. And in the text, and when you look at the lawsuit itself, I mean, the actual pictures of the texts are images in the actual the filing. It's incredible when you look at it. And this is not alleged. This is actual facts. Bill Belichick text Brian Flores mistakenly, thinking he was Brian Dayball. Congratulating. That's not a fact. We we don't we know what Brian Flores thought happened. That, that there's no evidence in there that that firmly says Belichick thought he was texting Dable. We don't know that. It, it's it, it, it well, honestly it, it's a side note to the whole thing. Belichick's revelation that something moved with the Giants' job, uh, he had that inside information ahead of time, is what really matters. But it, it's we, it shouldn't be framed as. Belichick thought he was texting somebody else. We don't know. Belichick admits that he made a mistake. He doesn't say, whoops, I sent this to the wrong person. You're right. He you're right. You're something right. You're happened, right. And that's right. what's important. People are focusing no, no, on you're, the wrong you're, thing here. You're, you're, you're right. But I, I'm going to assume, and, 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 you know, assuming makes, you know, as they say, makes an ass out of you and me. I'm going to assume his intent. I'm not, a, I'm going to assume that um, Bill Belichick wasn't trying to be deep throat. The Watergate. He wasn't trying to be deep throat. Let's just assume he wasn't trying to be that guy. But what but what's implied, whether he intended to or not, because you're right, I can't I can't uh, prove intent. We can't improve the intent. But in the text, it clearly implies that the Giants hired Dayball prior to the interview with uh, Brian Flores. And I think, you know, and listening to Brian Flores' statements, I think this is what disturbed him the most, is that the interview was a sham, ultimately, in his opinion. And, you know, I just think it it, it speaks to the fact that, you know, in a league where there's only been 20 African-American coaches, and how long has the NFL been open? Close to 100 years? Yeah, about that. You know, about that. Uh, because I think 95 was the 75th anniversary season. So, you know, it's been, you know, so it's about 100 years old. That speaks of the problem right there in and of itself, is that um, it is very difficult for African-American coaches to get hired. And we're, we're seeing that this continues to be the case in that um, the Rooney Rule has not been effective. Um, what's your thoughts on if that interview indeed was a, a sham and in, in terms of solutions to the problem? Because I think, I think right now you can't assume that meritocracy is going to win the day. 
Because I mean, we clearly see that it hasn't, it's, and we it's it, subjective anyway, and that's and, problem, and, yeah. and 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 but but we we've also seen that teams get this wrong like all the time. Um, what's your thought about about sham interviews, and, and was this a sham interview? <clears throat> and your thought um, because that that's what Brian Flores is implying. It's it, it's a multi layered issue. And I, I think that the Giants situation, um, his interview there is the most recent and best example of what he's going to provide. But and I'm I'm saying this as a white guy. I, I totally get the the counter to this. But the the bottom line, objectively speaking, there are 32 head coaching jobs in the NFL. On average, five or six of them open up every year. There are in my opinion, a lot more than 32 people who are qualified to be the head coach of an NFL team. Every year, only say six of those jobs, one eighth of, of the NFL opens up um, every year. One sixth, right? I never mind. You guys do the math for me. I've had too much coffee. There are going to be every year people who are justifiably qualified to get one of those jobs that's not going to get one of those jobs. The issue, though, lies in the fact that, and we have people commenting on, on the statistics here, knowing all of that, which is reasonable and fair, knowing all of that, why has there only been one black coach hired of the last 16 head coaching opportunities that have come up? It speaks to comfort and familiarity. It's not, I, I think, I'm going to, again, I'm going to speak as a white person. I think the message white people get in our society is racism is black and white footage of Southern police officers sicking dogs on black protesters. It's no coloreds allowed signs. It's all this very overt and obvious stuff. Whereas in reality, the systemic roots of that is what the real issue is. And it comes down to well, you know, you got five great candidates. Any one of them could do this. I'm most comfortable with this guy. When it's a white owner and a white general manager hiring the white coach, every time it's impossible to ignore the presence of a more subversive style of racism. And it's stuff that they might not even realize that they're doing. We all have those biases. It can come up. It can happen. It's the fact that they don't stop and say, you know what? It, maybe it would be better if we went this direction. If all things are being equal, we hire the white guy every single time. Maybe we should step up and say, look, we need to show something different. We have to be committed to diversity. And I understand that white people don't like this. It, it's not comfortable. But the reality is, at some point, you're not going to fix this problem unless you say, we're going to hire the black guy. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think Again, all things being equal... I, it, at some point, somebody has to do it because it's not happening. We see it time and time again. So we mentioned briefly, Lance, uh, Nathaniel Hackett earlier in Denver. I don't think Nathaniel Hackett is any stronger of a candidate than Demeco Ryans, for example, a guy who interviewed in Minnesota. And what I've heard is an excellent candidate. He checks every box. He should be an NFL head coach. So put Ryans into that group. Ryans is not going to get the job as fast as Hackett is. Why is that? Because nobody will give him a chance. That's what the, the root of Flores' lawsuit is saying. 
we don't get this. Whether we can prove his quote-unquote sham interview, whether we can prove that or not, the whole point of the lawsuit, in my opinion, is to shed light on this in a serious way to force the NFL to have to address it publicly, if not through discovery, uh, as a process of law. That's what's important here. Whether he had a sham interview, I, I don't know. Because to be honest with you, I'll, I'll say this understanding that there are probably a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this. I think Brian Dable is a better fit for the Giants right now than uh, uh, Brian Flores is. It's not because Brian Flores is a bad coach. It's because you have a very similar situation in New York that Dable had in Buffalo. And Dable did a great job there. They probably need more of a Brian Dable type of coach with his specific skill set. Yeah. yeah. Daniel Jones is a mess. Josh Allen was a mess. That makes sense. Okay. I and, get and to, that. And to your point, the unfortunate thing is that the the irony here is just, you know, it, it the optics are terrible given the fact of the Rooney rule and the connection yep. and the close connection between the Mara family yep. and the Roonies and their disrespect for the Rooney rule is just it just brings it all to a head as well. But but Mel brought up a great point. You know, true equity is black head coaches should be given the opportunity to be terrible and become retreads because that that's what it's all about. And that's Fair the point. other thing that Brian Flores is talking about in the lawsuit is the level of the, the standard at which mm -hmm. black coaches are held to is unfair as well. And right. that's something that as black folks in America, we grow up with, you've got to be twice as good. If I, 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 if I had 20 bucks for every time I heard that, and I bought stock in Microsoft in the eighties, I wouldn't be, the podcast would be done from Tahiti. I'd be the owner of an NFL team. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's what I think African-American coaches and coaches of color are just talking about is they want a fair opportunity to get the jobs. They don't want guarantees to get the jobs. Right. They want a fair opportunity to get the job. Don't waste my time for me just being the token interview to check off a box of and, the and Rooney to, to Rule that to point, say Meco Ryan's I, turned down the second interview opportunities. And, it's and not like they don't him. have the ability to do that. I don't think Demeco Ryan's though was a, a, a illegitimate candidate with the Vikings. I feel he is a legitimate head coach. I know people in the Vikings organization that said that he did a great job in his interview. They really liked him. But here's the issue. And that this this is I'm adding this for context, understanding that Brian Flores is not saying guarantee us jobs. He is saying, as you just put, we want fair opportunities. Demeco Ryan's interviewed and he was a part of the process with the Vikings until Jim Harbaugh came into question. I'm going to be honest with you. Jim Harbaugh is the best coaching candidate in the NFL right now. He didn't accept the Vikings job. Something happened there. I heard that he was going to. I heard that that was close to a done deal. Demeco Ryan's probably heard the same thing. That's why he wasn't doing a second interview to avoid exactly what happened with Flores. So I, I think that's good. It's, it, I've heard Demeco and Demeco, to be honest with you. I, I'm going <laughs> with Demeco. But the the point is, I don't think Ryan's was a sham interview. 
if he didn't want to interview a second time, because then he knows he's up against um, uh, Jim Harbaugh, who frankly, Jim Harbaugh is a better coaching candidate right now than, than Ryan's is. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah, a fair situation. Jim Harbaugh is a damn good coach with a ton of NFL success. And the only reason he went out of the NFL is because their general manager is a moron and their owner was like 34 years old and incapable of handling the situation. Oddly enough, though, Lance, you know who the number one target is in Jacksonville right now? It's Byron Leftwich, one of the few black offensive coaches who's going to get an opportunity. And the only reason he doesn't have that job right now is because he wants a certain general manager and he doesn't want to work with Trent Baalke. Guess who the general manager was in San Francisco who got rid of Jim Harbaugh? Trent Baalke. So here's another problem. Why does Trent Baalke, NDSU grad, why does Trent Baalke continue to get general manager jobs? This is part of the problem. These types of things, it was said earlier, the retreads, to be honest, are the problem. I agree completely. When a black coach doesn't do a good job, but eventually gets another head coaching opportunity, that's when we're talking about equality, because that simply does not happen. Brian Flores got screwed every which way from Sunday. He's alleging that his owner was offering him six figures to lose games. And, and then he got happened? judged on he it. He lost and, games, and he got fired for it. And then so he got what, judged what's he supposed it. to do? And, and, that's think, the, and that's the irony in this is that Brian Flores, knowing that it's extremely difficult, because to do this lawsuit, you know he comes from incredible moral fiber, right? He knows to get the job. Too. He knows that to get this job, it wasn't the odds were stacked extremely against him. So to lose, to ask him to lose, to then trust an owner to not retaliate on the losing. So you know what was going to happen to Brian Flores had he taken $100,000 and tanked and they would have tanked for two or whatever and got the pick? He would have got fired and then they would have hired a white coach to coach the guy that he tanked for. And let I mean, him that, win, and he has all and the let him win. And Flores looks like an asshole because he and didn't for, win. Exactly, and so <laughs> and, and what so he's supposed to do? I mean, what was he supposed to do? That was gonna that that was gonna happen. But when you look at this, it, it's 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 the systemic issues. It's the systemic issues that he's talking about, and that's what he is, and that's the problem. And so here are some of the things that Brian Flores is asking for: sourcing black investors to become. NFL team owners, that speaks directly to ownership with the implication that if you had more minority owners or more black owners, you get more black coaches. Asking for black players and coaches to become part of a team hiring process on a head coaching and coordinator vacancies, require NFL teams to justify in writing their hiring and firing decisions, require NFL teams to supply side-by-side -side comparisons and records and resumes when interviewing coaches. All this speaks to transparency. So there isn't a veil over the process where the good old boy network can hide in the shadows and just make these decisions when these decisions aren't called into question. Create a fund for a training program to promote lower level black coaches to coordinator positions if they show the aptitude. Incentivize the retention of black coaches in front office staff. Pay transparency for coaches on all levels. Now let's talk about one of the last allegations as well. And that is that John Elway showed up an hour late to the interview, blitzed and appearing intoxicated. Now, of course, I, I think, of course, I mean, that one sounds funny. 
Now, in this one, I, I don't I don't know what to think about this one other than you will know if it's it I've I've interviewed with, with people that have showed late in interviews, right? Where you come to the interview, the interview is at eight, they don't get to you till about eight fifteen, eight twenty. Immediately in my mind, I'm like, unless this opportunity is fantastic, they were late. I'm not taking the job. That's in my head already. And I'm already thinking to myself, they've pissed me off. I'm wasting my time. So why am I here? I know for sure that Brian Flores is like, look, come on, man. Like you're wasting my time. This is late. You're going to remember those type of things. Um, but in terms of solutions, Neil, and, and I was trying to kick this around. Um, I, I think what the NFL does to penalize and reward teams, it's typically draft picks. It's typically some sort of draft compensation. How do you incentivize teams to hire more minority coaches or black coaches? Um, Hispanic coaches, minority coaches, or coaches of color in general, because merit is it's merit is not enough. Um, because you know Brandon Staley, D'Amico Ryan's the one-year wonderkin on defense. One gets a head coaching job, the other. I mean, merit is not a part of this because I've always argued that the best coaches are the once fired guys anyway, and that I don't think failing in coaching is ever held against coaches because most of them fail anyway. How do you incentivize a team to jump out of its comfort zone and have a black head coach? How, how do you do it? How does the I, NFL incentivize it? I think what the NFL is doing makes a lot of sense. I think that the idea of um, team B hiring Team A's minority offensive coordinator as its head coach results in two top 100, 110 uh, draft picks, one each of the next two years, is a pretty damn good system. And I think we saw that even the first two general managers that were hired were people of color. I, I think that works. I think there, there's some value in that to say the more of these lower level guys that we develop into hireable assets somewhere else results in benefits for us as a team. And it also says it's okay now for these guys to get hired and we're not going to you know, hide them under a lamp anymore or hide them under a, a box anymore because we need to keep them. We have value in developing them. And to me, I think that's the right way to go. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not, I, I'm not going to say the Steelers are doing this intentionally, but most of the Steelers coaching staff now is black. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. There, there is a strategic element to that. It's not, you know, the, 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 most polite thing to talk about, but it, it it's going to give more opportunities to minorities over time. That's not, not going to fix things tomorrow. The reality is though, the NFL doesn't hire head coaches, teams hire head coaches. You need to attack this at the grassroots level. And in my opinion, there needs to be owners to step up and say, if we want to normalize this plain and simple, we need to hire a black coach. If we have a black coach who's worth hiring, he's on the same level as everybody else, that's the person we need to hire. That's just the way this is going to have to go. Until you normalize it and make it, it seem like this is what everybody is doing, 
it's going to continue to feel more comfortable to hire the white guy every time. I, I can't say that let enough. Me, me, That's the problem. Let me, let me pause you there. I, I, I'm going to disagree because I, th- that's why the NFL is in a position that it's in right now, because the time it will take for hiring black coaches to be normalized would take 200 years for the NFL, right? It's just, it's just the pace and the progress is too slow. Like I can't tell like, like what do you tell a young coach that's, you know, 26 years old that has aspirations for the NFL. You're like, he, he's probably like, why the hell would I do that? Right. Because this is moving too slow. Like the NFL is at a position where it's not going to self-correct itself unless there is a mechanism of incentive to make them do this. It's either you incentivize them or you penalize them because they're not the, going the to do it on their own. There, though. The incentive, no, the is, incentive there. is there. Get the best guy is the is the natural incentive, right? If you open no, the process, I'm talking about the draft picks. They get two draft picks yes, if they yes. promote a minority, and it, there that, you that go. system I think is it, it's not going to get you the immediate results that we're seeing. You know, right. it clearly it, it's not happening now. And Flores absolutely Flores is speaking to a lot of different things. His situation, I feel, and this was pointed out in the comments as well, the retreads, I hate that term, but the retreads are the ones who really get screwed here because which black coaches are being hired? Of the few that are, which are they? They're first-time head coaches. They're never, you had an opportunity, here's another one. You never get that. That's where the white coaches have a, a definitive advantage because they get to speak to experience. Well, he's been a head coach before. He's done this before. How about this? If Brian Flores was white, there is no way he is not a very strong head coaching possibility. You want to know why we know that? Doug Peterson. He's still in the mix of every head coaching job that he wants to talk to somebody about. That isn't to say that Doug Peterson is not a qualified head coach. But Brian Flores did a lot with some pretty bad rosters. And it's certainly plausible to at least look at the possibility that their ownership group didn't even want to win and he won games, he would not have gotten another look. That's why he brought up the Giants interview. He, he wasn't going to be hired for that, and it's going to continue. And to your point, the other coaches coming up, yeah, it's a fair question. Why are they even bothering? Um, short of the league mandating that a black coach get hired, I think that draft compensation is enough of incentive. As sad as that is, draft compensation is enough for the organization to say, we want to do this. I understand that the owners are billionaires, and you, you think that money is ultimately going to matter. I don't know how much money you think you can give a billionaire for it to matter to them, but the, the general manager isn't a billionaire. I'm sure he would love to have a couple draft picks if he hires a, a good black coach. I would think that they would want to do that. Ironically, my team doesn't have this problem because they hired a black coach. They don't get anything for it. You know, the, the other teams that have the problem are the ones that can be the solution if they start to develop those younger coaches, what you talked about. But to your point, though, you're right. That's not going to happen now. It's not happening now. Next year, you might get a couple more. Only over time is this really going to happen. I don't know what an immediate solution is. But I I think that to some degree, they are providing incentive uh, for a team to do better as far as thinning out the, the, the playing field a little bit.
And that's going to be something I think we can, uh, I mean, because I think it's a diff, it's a difficult problem. And I, I think Flores's approach is correct. It, it, you, you have to yep. address power with power. You have yep. to make power uncomfortable because had he not filed the class action, you would have likely had no black coaches hired in his side. You, would have you the, still you have, would have the same thing. You had the same, same thing. thing. Like, like you know, Mike year. Tomlin would have been, you know, the one black head coach. Now, hopefully we've done a good job talking about it. It's a complex issue. We could talk about this every single week. But, um, you know, and to Double H's point, economics is the only way to incentivize billionaires, huge upside financially or huge downside financially. Draft picks are an obscure and pedantic way of trying to incentivize a billionaire. You know, one <laughs> thing before we end the show, before I, I thought that, you know, I thought um, just outside the box would be if you were the New Orleans Saints, you know, if you said, OK, New Orleans, hire, hire Brian Flores and, and we'll wipe out that seventy two million dollar uh, uh, <laughs> being under the cap, seventy two million dollars. You know, New Orleans Saints would <laughs> hire him in a minute free for a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll have no cap issues. We'll waive off your dead money. Your dead money becomes zero. So, I mean, God. and I don't want to laugh mess. about it. What a mess. But it's just, you know, you it's hard. You And we're not talking about, um, you know, legislating change of heart. It, 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 it comes from hardcore incentive. People are going to feel how they feel. You yeah. know, you're just going to have people that feel like this is what legitimacy in the face of my organization looks like. Because that comes into it as well. This is what the brand looks like. This is what the brand represents. Um, and so, you know, I'm just thinking outside the box about different solutions. But I know that New Orleans, if you came to New Orleans and said, uh, hey, we'll wipe away that $71 million of damn money and give you draft picks, they'd hire anybody that was a black guy the next day. And so we'll see where this goes. Um, I know that the NFL does not want to get into discovery. That's typically their route. They will try not to get into discovery because if they, they open like the books, plague. if they open the books and they find more owners paid guys to take games, golly gee, this becomes the WWE. Let me jump into um Another couple of comments. Grayson wrote here, I think real equity starts in ownership. A black ownership of the NFL team needs to happen, establish the paradigm. I don't expect things to be fair. Power is taken, not given. The only thing about that, and I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine about that, is that ownership takes too long. Changing the way ownership looks takes too long. And it's too hard. It's and it's a billion dollars is a significant barrier to entry, let, let alone 1 billion. How about yep. having like 10 or 12 billion? Broncos, to be Broncos are going to be sold for four and the amount of time that it took to figure out the estate of the late Pat Bowen is long enough to suggest, and that that's the only team that's going to be for sale. Short of that, you have Jerry Richardson getting running a foul of sexual harassment rules forcing them to sell the Panthers. Those are the only teams that have sold in the last seven, eight years. It, it's ownership. Obviously, that's true. Obviously, things would shift to some degree if you had black ownership. But 
if they only sell to black people, the next five teams that come up, that's 50 years from now, the way that it looks exactly. right now. And the, exactly. who knows? The NFL might not and even that, be around. And, that, and, that, and that's a great point. And that's a great point that it doesn't shift. Also, there's a barrier not only to entry for the money from the money perspective is the league has to agree to. Yep. They have to agree to sell you the team and the, and the league has to agree. Are you one of us? Yep. Rush Limbaugh didn't get it. He wasn't one of them. Rush was too loud. <laughs> hey, man, you're not going to fall back. You're too loud. You want to be the show. Fall back and get this money. Can you do that? Owners to no. be in the spotlight. That That's their you know, modus operandi. They, they don't want to go after those issues, and they're just not going to. It, it's, it doesn't mean that you can't affect change. It just needs to be. merit i'm going to guess that some things are going to come out of it not much is going to come out of it i don't the, the question comes down whether or not the, the motion to dismiss that they're going to file will be taken seriously but that motion to dismiss is going to take them weeks to put together and present and this topic is at the forefront of every news story from now until then that's why he's doing it i don't think he's going to win anything i don't think he wants to win i think this forces them into a very uncomfortable place and it's something that every reporter is going to ask about. And he did it, yes, the start of Black History Month. But you don't know why he did it? Because every general manager talks to the media during the senior poll. They're not going to be able to get away with this. I mean, how much do you want to bet none of them speak? No general manager is going to talk now. And it's because they, they have something to talk about. The media are going to rip them for that. They're going to continue to make this a topic of conversation. That's how you drive this at, at the public level. I understand that this isn't the decision-making level, but unless the NFL wants to, you know, if the NFL wants to get back to talking about all the distractive things that it represents in our society, it's going to have to deal with these kinds of things up front. And Flores just made them do that. And Double H brought up a good point to be even considered an owner because he, in, in his past, he was an investment banker. It takes yep. about a net worth of 10 billion and cash flowing about a billion annually to be yep. even considered by the investment banks as a potential buyer. And the NFL will also – there are also guys that don't necessarily have $10 billion because I think the only owner that has $10 billion, uh, I was I knew the name the other day. It's not Cronky. I don't think it's Jerry Jones. There's one owner that has slightly – it's Tepper. Cranky it's, it's, is – It's Tepper. It's, Tepper's it's Tepper. up there. Cranky is the, the richest, though. He no, the no most. Tepper's the most wealthy at $12 sure? billion. I think so. I think it's Tepper at $12 billion. Unless, unless my up. brother was wrong with his facts, but I think it, it, it's Tepper. because um, And Tepper's a Carnegie Mellon guy because uh, uh, it's the Tepper School of Business and Carnegie yeah, Mellon He's like as a well. hedge fund guy. Those real estate yeah. guys are the ones that make the, the and, and, huge and Tepper, ass money. And Tepper was part of the Steelers ownership group. Yep. Um, That's where he, he cut his teeth, so to speak. Yeah. Before he that's, has the opportunity. To, sorry, just to interject with this. That's the point that Flores is making as well in the suit is it set up a fund so minority uh, minorities can acquire some stake in a team. And the Steelers have that 5% equity pull um, because they can't, the Roonies can't own any more than they have. They sell it off. And the last two that they've had, now two of the ones that they've had recently are now both uh, NFL owners. Jimmy Haslam bought the Browns and then Tepper bought the Panthers. So there, you can see a clear path to that. It's not listed in the suit, but I'm willing to bet that that's what they're talking about. Uh, the last, is it the last two owners? No, it couldn't be. But Haslam bought the Browns within the last 10, 12 years. And then 
uh, Tepper just bought the Panthers two years ago. So two guys that bought, a, a, relatively speaking, a small chunk of an NFL team, which isn't decision-making power, but it's the ability to sit in on the board and figure out how things work. That gives the league the opportunity to vet them up front personally. And then, it, you know, if, if they have the cash, which as, as Double H pointed out, is pretty, you know, pretty, pretty substantial. If you're able to do that, you have kind of the opportunity to show uh, why you're an asset to the league. They don't want just anybody coming in. And I understand the, the value of that for them, but they need to be able to open that up to minorities. And the, the best way to do that is going to be to take those small chunks of teams and sell them to minorities to give them a sense of how all this stuff works. I'm going to guess it's Tepper because Tepper's at, at 16 billion. I'm, I'm going to guess the, it's the highest. Tepper. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to guess it's Tepper and not Stan Kroenke. I would say Kroenke is about yeah Cronky's at 10.7 at 10.7 uh, is what i get from yeah you. yeah Cronky's arguing 10. about 7. 16 billion versus <laughs> 10 billion that's great it, and, and that just and that just and, and, and that just says where we're at right now right is that right. trying to change this based on ownership is ridiculous you can't do that because it's and you gave and you gave a great point is that ownership is not going to change rapid enough and the barrier to entry to be an owner is going to be significant. We're going to go ahead and end the show. We could talk about this for days. Um, I, I think at the end result, I, I think what's going to happen is that, you know, at some point they're going to settle. Brian Flores is going to get paid a significant amount of money. And the NFL is going to try to throw a shitload of dirt on the Stephen Ross aspect of the story. And <laughs> somebody's somebody's going to be, there'll be a sacrificial lamb so to speak there's going to be some type of initiative and program as far as coaching goes they're going to continue to push that route and off the record i think they're going to strongly strongly recommend the next two three jobs that open up need to go to black people yes yes it's going to be yes absolutely that you're going to see byron leftwich and another black coach hey, leftwich um, to be fair leftwich is probably going to get hired anyway the, the fact that that yes, hasn't happened yes. yet is not uh, uh, an indictment against Leftwich. Um, yeah, and, and, and we should yeah. update the fact that Jaguars just today hired Rick Spielman to work in their front office, the former Vikings executive. It seems likely what they're looking to do is move Trent Balky out of the way so Leftwich wouldn't have to to take orders or anything like that. It, it was it was a conversation of, of direction of the team, which is certainly Leftwich's right to ask. Uh, if that's if that's the the situation that he wants and Jacksonville's willing to give it to him, then great. You know, I, I think that's what Jacksonville is doing. And I think they just needed some time to do that. So I've, I've always thought that left, which was the best candidate there, Lance, you and I talked about that offline for a bit. Um, it, it's a good spot for, you know, a guy that the franchise knows well, that'll help with uh, the, the slight image problem that they have down in, in Jacksonville uh, left, which was probably always going to be their guy. They just needed to, to, clean some things up from an administrative perspective. And let me just give you the list real quick, because they don't have Tepper listed on the Forbes list as a sports guy. Uh, but it's Tepper, then it's Cronky, Jerry Jones, Robert Kraft, Arthur Blank, Stephen Biscotti, uh, Biscotti, I guess the the Ravens guy. Shotty. Biscotti. Janice Shotty. McNair, um, Dan Snyder, uh, Denise York, Gail Benson, and Arturo Moreno. In our well, adult Moreno, lifetime, Moreno, last... I should say, is the Angels. Um, yeah. Benson, York, Snyder, McNair, 
uh, the shoddy blank craft, Jerry Jones, Cronky, and um, and uh, Tepperall, 